Go ahead and take your Bibles tonight. And your Bibles this evening, turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to read a longer passage of Scripture. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. This is a, we're going to read a part of the story about Elijah and Elisha. Okay, now Elijah and Elisha—they're two very uh, important characters in the Old Testament. A lot of interesting things with these two guys. And uh, one thing that's always difficult—you guys might hear me referring to Elijah as Elisha sometime, and Elisha as Elijah. Uh, don't let me confuse you on that. That happens with these guys. Their names were similar. They did a lot of the same things. But Elijah—he was a prophet of God. He was the one who stood on Mount Carmel. And prayed and God, uh, and called down fire from heaven and defeated all those prophets of Baal. Elijah did some, uh, great miracles during his time. He was, he was an amazing person. Uh, he also was kind of a big enemy with Ahab and Jezebel. And then after, or later on, uh, Elisha started following Elijah and God was preparing Elisha to kind of take over for Elijah after he died. And Elijah, um, we're going to read the story here. Elijah was one of only two people who never died. Elijah, a very interesting person, got taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, a fiery chariot. And we're going, to, we're going to read that story. And then Elisha was the one who took his place afterwards. And Elisha also did a lot of great miracles. Great man of God. Amazing person. But I want to read this story to you. And there's, some, uh, there's a thought I want to... Uh, give you tonight something I think is, I want you to think about something that uh, yeah really uh, something we all ought to be thinking about often because it's very important. But in verse one it says, "And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry here I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel." And Elisha said unto him, "As the Lord liveth." And as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. This, this story's neat. Elisha here, Elijah's getting ready to go to heaven. And for some reason, Elijah wants Elisha to stay behind. But Elisha says, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to stay with you to the very end. And then in verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and saith unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So it's known that Elijah's getting ready to go to heaven. And these prophets, sons of the prophets, come along to Elisha and they mention it to him. And he's like, Yes, I know it. Hold ye your peace. In other words, I guess in modern day English, you know, he just told him to shut up. I don't want to hear about it. Alright? Uh, he, it wasn't something, he, he wasn't excited about seeing Elijah go. He, uh, he loved Elijah. He'd been following him. And then uh, in verse 4, And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. It says it again. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. I mean, obviously these guys, they want to see this happen. 
Now, that would have been a neat thing to see, watch somebody get taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And they, they, wanted, to, they wanted to watch. And it says that Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. This is a third example I can think of in the Bible where waters were parted. Uh, of course, the Red Sea for the children of Israel. Also, the Jordan River for the children of Israel when they went to go into the Promised Land. And then here, Elijah, he's trying to get over to this area where God's going to take him into heaven. There's waters there. He just takes his mantle and hits the water. Spreads out. They walk across on dry ground. Very neat thing to see. Verse 9, It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. So it's funny, Elijah's been telling Elisha, stay here, stay here. Elisha says, I'm going with you, I'm going with you. And then it's just about time to go. Elisha says, what do you want before I go? And I don't know what Elijah was thinking he was going to say. I Honestly, I don't know what Elijah really would have had to give at that at that point in his life. I mean, he was a prophet. He probably didn't have a whole lot. He probably didn't have a lot of money. I doubt there's any great possessions. But he uh, he tells him, he said, if you stay with me, that's a hard thing. But if you see me go, you'll get it. A double portion of a spirit is what he asked for. And that's interesting. We'll talk a little more about that later. But it says uh, in verse 11, it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. This chariot of fire comes along and it kind of separates the two of them. It wasn't Elisha's time to go yet. And I think Elisha, boy, he, I think he, he was going to stay right next to him to the very end. But he was only able to go so far and that chariot uh, parts the two of them. And it says, Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. A very neat story we see here. And uh, what I want you, what this story causes me to think about, and what I want you to think about, is that simply this: when your time comes to go, what are you going to leave behind? What are you going to leave behind for your kids, for your for your family, for your friends? What kind of inheritance are you going to leave them? Now, I'm not talking about a money inheritance. Of course, that's always the big thing. You know, whenever rich people die, you know, all the family, they're all there just waiting for that reading of the will to see what they're going to get. You know, how much, how much did he leave me? And for some people, that's important. They want to be able, they want to be able to leave a big inheritance to their kids. And you know what? I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind leaving a big inheritance to my kids. It's probably not going to happen, but I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, they're, they're probably not going to get rich, uh, when I die. Unless I die early and they get some life insurance money. That's the only chance as of right now. But you know, the truth is, I don't think that's the main thing that we ought to worry about. If you want to leave an inheritance to your kids, and you know that's fine. 
You know, I'm all, I'm all for that. If you you might want to make a will, and you might want to say, hey, I want certain possessions to go to my children. There's certain things that I want certain kids to have, and that's fine. But really, more important than that, what kind of impression are you going to leave behind? What kind of example are you going to leave behind? The spiritual things are are what's really important. And I want us to notice some of the things that Elijah left behind for Elisha. Things that we ought to want to leave behind for other people. And first of all, the thing that we see that Elijah left behind was the double portion of his spirit. That was what Elisha asked for. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9-10 through is when he asked him that. He said, I want that double portion. Of your spirit, he said, "I want, I want double what you have of your of your spirit." When we talk about somebody's spirit, uh, we're we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit, but we're talking about their attitude. A lot of times, just kind of the way they are, the way they handle things, you know. And really, when you stop and think about it, this was quite the compliment. Elijah or Elisha said to Elijah, "I want to be like you, and I want I want a double portion of that." Have you ever? And let me. And the thing that that says about Elijah is that he had a, a spirit that was worth catching. Because the truth is, all of our spirits, in a sense, are contagious. Think about somebody who has a bad spirit. If somebody comes into the church and they've just got a bad attitude. They've got a bad spirit. You know what? People, they pick up on that. You come, in, you come into the church and you're, and you're mad at somebody else in the church, people are going to figure it out. They're going to catch on to that. Uh, maybe you come in just with a, with a contentious attitude. Other people are going to pick up on that. And other people are going to start acting that way. And, and strife can begin starting in churches. And, be, and after a while, folks are like, you know what? I don't even want to go to that church. The spirit there is terrible. And it, people want to stay away from it. We ought to have a spirit that people want to catch. People that know us. People that we work with us. And man, you know, I... I love your attitude. I love the way you handle things. I, I want to be more like that. I've had people like that that I worked with. I worked with a guy, his name was Mike, when I was at Walmart. And Mike was not a saved person. He made no claims to be saved. He made no claims to be religious. But Mike was probably one of the most compassionate men I've ever known. He had, he had just the best attitude about everything. He was always thinking about other people. He was always complimenting other people. You could not ever compliment this guy without, I mean, without him just kind of throwing it back at you. I remember um, one. He got associate of the month one month, and I remember I thought, you know, I, I was I was thrilled to see him get it. I was like, all right, you know, this guy he was he was always coming and just saying encouraging things to me. And I remember I thought, you know what, this is my chance to kind of. Say something encouraging to him and just kind of build him up a little bit. You know, he just received this honor, associate of the month. And so I remember I went to him and I was like, it's like, Mike, it's like, it's like, congratulations, associate of the month, man. I'm, I'm glad to see you got that. You definitely deserved it. And man, he, you know what he said? I, I, I couldn't believe when he said this. I just, I didn't even know how to respond to it. He's just like, he's like, well, thank, thanks a lot, Tom. He's like, it's like, it's like, that means a lot coming from somebody like you, you know, who is a hard worker. He just went and started saying all this good stuff about me. And I'm trying to build him up, and he just went and turned it around and threw it right back at me and built me up. And I'm just like, man, you know, and he said it with such humility and everything. And I remember, 
I remember thinking, man, this guy has an unbelievable attitude. This is the way Christians ought to be. This guy's not even a Christian. And I mean, just had a great attitude. Everybody loved this guy. Except for one guy, and that's another story. He used to give him grief, and that backfired on him. Because everybody did like this guy because he had that kind of attitude. And when he got falsely accused of something and it even got in trouble, he ended up getting out of trouble because he had so many people come to bat for him when when he when he'd been lied on. And that's just that's the kind of guy he was. People people like being around people like that. They have that kind of a spirit. And I, I would think, man, you know, I want to be more like that. There's, there's people that I know, there's other Christians I know that I look at and I think, I want to be like that Christian. And I try to follow their example and I try to do the things that they do. I, I want to be around those people. They encourage me. Uh, they, uh, they give me a good mood. And then there's other people. You get around them. Christian people. There's, there's, there's preachers even that I know. And you just get around them and you're depressed afterwards. I have a bad attitude. I'm mad at everybody. You know what? Because spirits are contagious. And there's some folks, it's like, you know what? I gotta be careful how much I'm around that person. Because I might catch a little bit of what they have, and I don't know if I want it. And I wonder if the world, oh, when they look at us and when they look at Liberty Baptist Church, I wonder I wonder what they think. Oh, those Liberty folks, man, those are just the meanest, snobbiest people. Well, I hope we're not like that. I hope we don't have that kind of spirit. I hope you don't. I hope my children, they don't look at me. Maybe when I, some, you know, if I if I were to die, they think, you know, my dad, he was in the ministry, he was a pastor, but man, he hated it. He just hated people. He hated his church members. He hated preaching. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. Listen, I've known preachers' kids like that. Their dads, I mean, were just very. Had very bad attitudes about the ministry. You know, they'd gotten hurt by people and things, and just they made it seem like the worst thing in the world. There's pastors I know. You talk to them, you think being a pastor is the worst job in the world, and then they want when their kids they grow up and they don't want to have anything to do with religion, and they wonder why. But you know, then there's other guys that are out there pastoring, and they act. They, if you ask them, they're the most privileged people in the world. They're the most blessed people in the world. They've got the greatest people in the world. And they're just thrilled to death about what they do. And then their kids seem to follow right along. You know what? They've got a spirit that's worth catching. Elijah, he had the kind of spirit that Elisha said, I want what you have. In fact, I want, I want double what you have. And you know what? If you go back and you look at the miracles that Elijah did, and you... Uh, you Kind of count up the stories. I haven't actually done it, but I've been told that the Bible records double the miracle, or Elisha doing double miracles over Elijah. He did get a double portion of that spirit. Elisha, Elisha raised a man from the dead after he died. May remember that story. Uh, there was a battle going on. A man died, and they threw him down in this tomb. It was a tomb where Elijah was at. And the man's dead body touched the bones of Elisha. And when he did, that dead man came back to life. So, I mean, that's the kind of power that Elisha had on him. Uh, I mean, just uh, Elisha was an amazing, amazing person. And Elijah, he left a good spirit behind that Elisha wanted some of that. And I don't know about you, but I hope. uh, I hope I have that kind of thing. I hope that I'm the kind of person that, uh, you know, when I come into a room, that uh, 
People don't want to leave. And uh, I'm the kind of person that, you know, the folks are in the church are praying, you know, Lord, please call our pastor somewhere else. Right? I, 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 don't, I don't want to be like that. But if we're not careful, we can have that wrong spirit. And listen, especially when it comes to fathers in the homes, I mean, your, your kids are going to pick up on that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I say this all the time, and it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. But one of the hardest things in the world for a son is to not be like his father. And if that's if he's a good guy, that's a good thing because he's going to have a hard time not being a good guy. If he's a bad guy, you can't. You don't have to be your father, but it's hard not to. It's It just is. Same thing for the girls. It's hard not to be like your mom. You don't have to be like your mom, but it's going to be hard hard not to. If you had a good mom... Well, that's good. You're going to have a hard time not being a good mom. You're not going to have a hard time not being a good wife. If she was bad, it's going to be a little harder for you. You don't have that example. You didn't have that uh, spirit that you could catch. And Elisha had a spirit that was worth catching. Notice also that Elijah left an example to follow. 2 Kings 2.14 says, And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God? Of Elijah, how did Elisha know that if he smote the waters with that mantle, that they would part? He had just seen it happen with Elijah. He saw Elijah when he came, uh, when he came to a point there where uh, in their journey where they couldn't get past. Elijah showed some pretty major faith there, and he took that mantle off and he smote the waters, and sure enough, they parted. He gave him the example of faith. Elisha knew exactly what to do. He comes up to the waters. He didn't have to obsess about it. He didn't have to worry about it. He just takes that mantle that was left. Where's the God of Elijah? And hits the water and it happened. He got to see what to do. He had an example to follow. Boy, that's important. You know, I I tell you, there's many things that I've done since starting this church that I just kind of thought back. We'll see. You know, how did Dad do it when he started Lighthouse? I'm glad I had that example to follow. I didn't know during that time when I was an eight year old boy that I was kind of in that position that God was preparing me for something that He was going to have me do twenty some years later. I didn't know that, but I'm glad. I, I'm glad I had an example to follow. I'm glad my dad. I saw him uh, go through some pretty hard times. As a pastor, and I got to see how he handled it. I saw how he responded to it, and many of the things that I saw, I saw how he handled. It. I've just done the same thing. I knew what to do. I've seen it done before, and I thank God for that. I mean that that I had uh, that kind of example, and not just, and not just with my dad, but even in with other people that I've had. Uh, that I've gone to church with, other Christians that I've known, other preachers I've had the privilege of knowing. I watch them and I see what they do. I see how they handle situations. I see how they respond to things. And even and when that day comes where they're gone, they will have at least, I thank God that they've left me an example that I can follow. So you know, I remember, I remember how this person handled that. Sometimes I think about you know, advice that I've given that's, that's helped people. And sometimes, you know, people they'll act like, you know, you know, they're impressed with me and stuff and you know think I'm smart or have some wisdom or whatever. It's like I'm just copying off my dad. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm copying off some other preacher. I'm just doing what I saw somebody else do. I didn't come up with this on my own. But I thank God that I've had that example. Somebody 
uh, that has showed me what to do in different situations. I catch myself all the time just doing things with my kids, and then I'll like have these flashbacks of Dad doing those with me when I was a kid. I remember watching him do those things with my sisters. I'm glad I had that example. We live in a, in a culture today and, uh, where many people do not have that. We've got guys all over the place that are having kids all the time, but they don't know how to be a dad. They didn't grow up in a home uh, where they had a father. And they don't know how to respond to things. They, they don't know what to do. Uh, you know, moms, they didn't, uh, they didn't grow up in good homes and they're, they're not real sure how to handle things. That's why, you know, in school when their kid comes home, you know, mommy, my teacher was mean to me today. That's why a lot of parents, they go screaming at the teacher and yelling at the teacher. Because, uh, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. No, I, I actually learned, you know, from my parents that when you have a problem with the teacher and you tell your parents about it, you get in trouble. And uh, the teacher is always right. And that's the way I handle it. I just learned to deal with it. I learned to listen, respect authority, and all that stuff. And I know that. And my kids had to deal with the same thing when they were in school. It didn't do them a whole lot of good when they came home and tried complaining and acting like they were treated unfair or whatever. But I'm glad I had that example. I'm glad I, I learned. I've seen other kids whose parents always took their side. And oh my goodness, it it's, sounds wonderful to just trust your kids and support your kids and everything. Uh, it doesn't always turn out good kids when you do it like that. And I thank God that I, that I got to see how to do that. Paul told Timothy to be an example. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Let no man despise thy youth. He was a young pastor. He said, But be thou an example of the believers in word. In other words, be an example with what you say in conversation. That's not talking about your... Uh, a conversation that like you and I have talked, it's talking about your testimony. But he said in your on your testimony, in charity, in the works that you do, in spirit, alright, it ought to be real. People ought to be able to tell that it's real. In faith, in purity. He said, be an example of the believers. Show other people what to do. We live in a world today where uh, you know we're what we're what's supposed to be trying to win people to Christ. Okay, but you know what, just them getting saved is not enough. Now we've got to show them how to live. I mean, you think about somebody who just gets saved. Maybe they're 30 or 40 years old. And let's say they get saved tomorrow. Well, just because they get saved doesn't mean all of a sudden they're automatically downloaded with all Bible knowledge. Okay? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden all the sermons that maybe you've heard in your life over years of going to church all of a sudden has been transferred into their mind and now they know what to do. They have no idea. They have no idea at all. And you know what? We've got to help them. We've got to be an example. You know what? Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to watch us. They're going to watch and they're going to see how we do things. And we all do that by nature. My daughter Allie, she copies everything. We were just outside and a bunch of birds were making noise and she started copying the noise that they made. That's, that's what we do. Uh, we're, we're all creatures of habit. We've got to be careful because people are watching us and the way we respond... It's how they it's how they're going to respond. I always got aggravated over at Lighthouse in the school when we'd be watching a basketball game or something, and you'd watch some of these teenage guys out there. And they already stink at basketball as it is; they're not that great. And they'd be out there playing a game, and I remember watching them sometimes the way they would respond to a bad call, and it was eerily similar to the way the NBA players respond 
to bad cults. And I would just think, you ding-dongs. <laughs> I was like, okay, I understand you know, watching NBA players and wanting to be able to play like them and all that stuff, but understand who these guys are playing those basketball games. Most of them are a bunch of thugs. Right? They're a good basketball player, but they're a bunch of thugs. They're a bunch of they're a bunch of lost people. They've got bad attitudes. They've never been taught respect. They, they haven't been taught any of those things. Though, and listen, if you want to try to play like them, I understand. But you have no business having an attitude like they do. Do not act like that. Do not make those same faces. Do not do the same body language. Do not. Do, we're not supposed to follow that example. If you want to try to you know learn how to shoot like them and dribble like them and all that stuff, that's fine. But don't act like that. But that's what they do. They they copy them because they respect them as players and they think that's just how I'm supposed to react. I remember we played uh, a school one uh, school one time and these guys they were assistant pastors that were coaching and these guys were jerks. I mean, they were just jerks. They were idiots. And the way they acted coaching was the way a lot of the NBA coaches act whenever there's bad calls and things. And these guys were just jerks. And when we played them in our church, we're watching these people. Back then, we stunk, and so we were too crummy to have an attitude at that point. And, we, and we're watching these guys the way they were, and they were killing us too, and they still had bad attitudes. And they're just acting like lost NBA coaches do. And it's because they were too dumb to know that you know we don't have to act like that and we're supposed to act like Christians and, and things. And they're just having attitudes. I remember our whole church was like, that just wasn't very Christian. And we never played them again. And I, taught, I remember talking to some other churches that played them, and they all said the same thing. Those coaches were just jerks. I mean, they were, they were jerks. I mean, horrible attitudes. Horrible spirits. You know why? Because they're watching the NBA guys. They're watching what they do, and they think, you don't like a call? You know, you're supposed to act like this. You're supposed to make this face. You're supposed to, uh, you know, say these things. And what? And we, uh, as Christians, we got to realize that when other people get saved, they're going to watch us. If you're if you're there in the church, maybe you've been going to church. Why well, hey, that person? They've been saved for a long time. They know. Maybe they hear your testimony. They think, and they're they're going to watch what you do, and they're going to copy it. They might not even know that they're copying you, and. What kind of example are we leave are we leaving for people? You know, one I, I, uh, brother Jack Parchman, uh, evangelist I know, I, I refer to him all the time. He's in heaven now, but I remember he, he said he was praying one time. and He's just like you know, asking God, Lord, why is it so hard to get people saved today? I mean, and he started thinking about guys like the Apostle Paul, the revivals that this guy saw, and the things that he saw. And he's like, why does it seem like it's so much harder today than it was back then. And he said he believed that the Lord gave him an answer. And his answer, he said what the Lord told him was that Paul didn't have to drag those people over a bunch of backslidden church members. And I think that's a problem. Sometimes you'll see people get saved and they get on fire for God. They're trying to do things for God. and then But then they start following the example of all the people that have been saved for a long time. And then they have to backslide. They almost have to get worse to keep up with everybody else in the church. And that's a shame because we're supposed to be leaving an example. Paul, he told Timothy to be an example, but Paul himself was also an example to Timothy. Philippians 4 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. What would happen if 
we went to maybe our kids said, hey, the things that you've seen in me, do those things. I wonder how many people would be comfortable giving that advice. I wonder, most people these days say, you know, son, you know, do as I say and not as I do. We've all heard that statement before. Many parents, they would not want to give their kids that advice, but the truth is, they're probably going to do many of the things that they've seen us do. And Paul was able to say, hey, what, you, what you've seen in me, do. Do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. God will bless you if you do those things. As a pastor, I mean, it's, I have a responsibility to be a good example because there, whether I say it or not, there, people are going to follow my example. And the same thing with you. You think, oh, there's nobody following me. Yes, there is. There's somebody following you. Your family, you're going to have family members. They're watching. Maybe they're skeptical. Maybe they even say things against what you're doing because they're going to put you to a test to see if it's real. And they're watching. And if you handle it right, they're going to follow that. If you give up, then they'll give up, but they won't even try. But thankfully, Elijah, he left an example for Elijah to follow. When he came to that challenge, when he came to that river that he could not cross, he knew exactly what to do. There's going to be challenges that I know that I'm going to face, and I hope that I think that I've when I get to those, I'm going to think back. Hey, this is what my dad did. This is what other preachers did in this situation. I'll know what to do when I come to a situation where I don't know what to do. I've never seen this situation before. I've never faced some. I never. I've never faced anything like this before. I don't really know anybody that's faced anything like this before. You know what I'm going to do? So my dad always taught me. Go seek counsel. Go talk to some. Go talk to some people. Get, don't be. Uh, don't be too proud to ask other people's advice. They've been, you know, there's other preachers out there. They've been through these things. They've uh, they've crossed this river before, and they can help you through it. That's what I'm going to. That's what I'm going to do. And that's happened since we started this church. There's been all kinds of things. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And I do. I call people up. It's like, hey, you've been in this for a while. What should, how should I handle this? How should I present this church? How should I do that? I do it all the time, and I'm not ashamed of it. Because uh, there's people out there, thankfully, that have good examples. And you know who I usually call to? People who've succeeded in what they've done. Not the people who failed in everything they tried. I don't try to get their advice. I, I, go, I try to get the counsel of people who've done things that work. If I'm trying to get advice from my kids, I'm going to go talk to somebody who's raised some good kids. Not somebody who raised a bunch of reprobates. I'd rather I'm not going to seek their counsel. I'm not going to try to get their advice. And we're all like that. But our trials that we face, they can help us minister to other people who may be going through the same thing. First, uh, or Second Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes God allows us to go through some things and He's there with us. He comforts us. And then when other people go through those same things, we're able to give that comfort to others. You might think, well, you know, hey, I've, I've never, I can't be an example. I've never seen how to do things. Listen, God can show you. I never had anybody comfort me. Well, God will comfort you. God can do those things, and you can do it for other people. And thank God for that. And then, thirdly, the third thing that we see that Elijah left behind for Elisha is the mantle. He left that. He left that mantle 
behind. That mantle fell and, and Elisha took that. And I don't I don't know, but I'm gonna just guess that probably at the end of Elisha's life, he was probably still wearing that same mantle. That mantle, it was special. He saw that thing fall down, he's like, Oh man, I want that. I'm ta- I'm taking that I'm taking that with me. I think Elijah probably left it behind on purpose. They got separated by that fiery chariot, and as Elijah's going up to heaven in that whirlwind, he just probably took that mantle and threw it. Elijah's going to need this. Or Elisha's going to need this. And Elisha picked up that mantle and he took it, he carried it with him, and he did he knew he knew how to use it. He knew what to do with it. I, I believe he went and he took that mantle and he he I don't know how he hid it exactly, but I'll bet you it was the exact same way that Elijah did. He took that mantle. Paul wanted Timothy to share what he had with other people. Second Timothy two Verse 2 says, "...and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." Paul told Timothy, "...the things that you receive from me, I want you to teach it to other people, and I want you to teach them to teach it to other people. Pass these things on." I'm thankful for some of the things that have been left to me. One thing that I have is this thing right here, this King James Bible. I think I'm so thankful this book has been passed on to me. The history of how we got this Bible is is an amazing history, and it's one that's written in blood. Many died so we could have this English uh, translation of the Bible. I mean it's it's amazing what all it took for us to have this. This has been passed on from our forefathers down for generations. And we're living in a day-to-day where folks are saying, you know what? We don't need that old mantle anymore. Let's get a new one. Let's get a new... You know, that, that mantle that Elisha carried around, I imagine after a while it probably got pretty old, crummy looking. I imagine uh, maybe you know Elisha while walking through towns, so I could see some of the folks that are out there trying to sell things there on the street and they see that mantle, maybe it was little old and ragged and they think, hey, we got a new one for you. Look, look at this one. It's beautiful. And I can just see Elisha. No. You can't replace this one that I have. This one that I have, this one was passed on to me from Elijah. This one is the one that was used to part the waters twice. There's some power with this one. Yeah, yeah I think I'm going to stick with this old one. People probably made fun of him. They probably laughed at him. Well, you're, you know, look, at, look at you going around with that old outdated mantle as styles and trend you know things were changing but they man you know you look like you're from the whatever decades they were in back then you're from you know 10 or 20 years ago but Elisha he didn't care he said you know what? I'm going to hang on to this and the folks are doing that with our Bible ah, he's still using that old King James all, all the D's and L's what's wrong with you well you know what this is this is the Bible that was given to me by my father. It was the one that he was taught out of. And the people that taught him were taught out of the same one. This one, I mean, this one goes back generations. This is the one that God's used. There's power in this one. This is the very, I mean, this is the inspired, preserved word of God. You know, I think I'm going to hang on to this one. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to hang on to this Bible. I thank God that I was taught that way. I, listen, I. Every once in a while, if I want to get myself mad, I might listen to some preaching or something from people who do not believe that we have an inspired, preserved Word of God. 
And I listen to the way they preach and what what they preach about. And I, I thank God I was taught that we have a completed Scriptures. One that is without error. I mean, you hear some of the goofy things that they come up with. And you know what? It's no wonder. If I believed that I had a book that was full of errors, I'd probably preach a lot of things different too. I'd probably just preach the stuff I like too. That's what most people do. They think it's full of errors. Okay, I don't like that law. That should have been translated this way. Or, I like this one. We'll take that one literally. And man, I thank God I wasn't taught that way. I was given... I've had this passed down. I mean, I thank God I've had a prayer life passed down. I've seen God answer prayers that my parents have prayed and other family members that I have. I know that prayer works from examples I've seen from other people's. And because I saw that, even in my own life, I have examples of prayers that I've seen answered. I'm glad I had that passed on to me. I'm glad I know that no matter what situation I'm in, that I can go to God in prayer and that He has the power to answer that prayer. I've seen Him do it plenty of times in other people's lives and even in my own life. And I hope I pass that on to my kids that whenever they face difficult times, they know that they can go to God in prayer and that He can answer those prayers. I'm glad that I, I'm glad I was taught soul winning works and the soul winning is the right thing to do. From the time I was a little kid, I remember going out uh, with my dad and inviting people to church. I remember sometimes people snubbing you. I remember getting the door slammed in my face and things like that. But I was—I remember my dad, whenever that would happen, alright, well, let's just keep going. Let's go to the next house. So what do you do? Let's go to the, let's, all right, let's just go to the next house. I'm glad that the first time I went soloing with my dad and somebody slammed the door in her face, he didn't say, like, forget it. I don't have to put up with this. Let's go. We don't have to deal with that. We don't need this kind of rejection. This doesn't work anymore. You didn't do that. So no, let's go on to the next place. Let's go to the next door. I'm glad. I'm glad I saw that. And and this day, that's kind of every once in a while, uh, I'll get somebody that wants to be ignorant, somebody that has an attitude. You know what I do? Well, let's go to the next house. Let's keep on going. Um, many people they don't do that these days. Many churches uh, are not not doing it. Many pastors they won't go out. Door knocking. They think it's outdated. We don't need to do that stuff anymore. You know why? Because the example that they had was an example to quit when things get hard. And I'm glad I wasn't taught that. I'm glad one thing I had passed on to me was the right church. Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Being a Baptist does not get you to heaven. That's not what saves you. But I thank God that I was raised in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. I'm 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 proud of the name Baptist. There's people out there that are that call themselves Baptists that shouldn't be calling themselves Baptists that aren't doing things right. But I believe that it still has a good name. I'm glad I grew up in the right church. I'm glad that I didn't grow up in a church where to get to heaven I'm supposed to speak in tongues. I'm glad. I'd feel really foolish doing that. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't. I wasn't brought up in a church where I was taught you had to do good works to get to heaven. I was taught the truth. I thank God for that. And I hope I can pass it on to my kids. I'd be devastated if Tommy grew up and became a Catholic priest. I'd have a hard time with that. I'd have a tough time if Jason grew up and 
became a television evangelist that uh, one of them guys that just tried to get money all the time. Uh, you know, Jason, he's a goofball too. I can see that happen. So we're going to be praying for him. <laughs> I could, if the devil gets a hold of his heart, I can see him going down that path. He's always thinking of ways to come up with money and stuff. But uh, you know, I hope I pass. I hope I can pass that on to him. But in conclusion, Romans 10, verse 13 14, it says, or I want to go ahead, I can quote the one verse, but I'll mess up the second verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 in closing. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to tell people what to do. Somebody has got to show them. All we should need is the Word of God to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. But I think everyone would agree, and so does the Bible, that it's much easier when you have somebody on earth as an example that you can follow. And the question to you tonight is, what are you going to leave behind? If you died today, you know, what would you leave behind spiritually? Would your family, they have, would they know how to be a Christian? Would they know how to be the right kind of mother or father? Would they, would they know those things? Maybe you're a young person in school. If you died, you know, would your friends know how to get to heaven? You know, hopefully, uh, if you know if you care about somebody, you're going to tell them about that. They might not accept it. They might not listen. But we want to make sure that they know. It's very important. What are you going to leave behind? That's what's really important. Not how much money you leave behind, but what you leave behind spiritually. That is far more valuable than anything else you leave behind. You know, because you know what's going to happen. You know, if you if you leave these things we talked about tonight, your family they're going to go on and they're going to do great. But if you leave behind a million dollars, chances are they're just going to blow through it in one or two years. Probably just get themselves in trouble with it. They might have a good time, but chances are that. That can be gone. But these things, they can last forever and even be passed on to the next generation. I hope that will be your goal to leave behind a spiritual example just like Elisha did for Elisha. So let's stand together tonight with our heads bowed and eyes closed.